Today's episode of Escape Pod is rated F for the two F-bombs dropped within. Escape Pod 241 May 20th, 2010 Today's story, The August and Brian, by Stephen Gaskell Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm your host and editor, Mer Lafferty. It's a tough job taking over a long-standing, beloved entity. Steve Ely will be missed by us all. I still remember that day back in 05, when Steve FedExed me a batch of brownies to get me to check out Escape Pod and pimp it on my podcast. I gotta say, no one has ever gone to such lengths to encourage me to listen, and I've been a fan ever since. And these are some awful big shoes I've got to try on. It's exciting, and a little bit scary, but I know that whatever hesitations I feel, I've got to pump myself up big and fake it till I make it. Much like one of our characters in this week's story, Thargus and Brian, by Stephen Gaskell. Mr. Gaskell lives in London, where he writes fiction, teaches maths, and yes, he wanted me to say that's maths with an S, not math, and during his daily cycle ride, regularly defies death. His work has appeared in, amongst other places, Interzone, Nature, and Pseudopod. He's now chasing a sale to Podcastle, so he can join the ranks of those who've done the pod trouble. The story is read for us by Chris Miller. Chris is a crafter of code and a writer of sorts who lives near Cleveland, Ohio. He's the producer and co-host of the Secret Lair podcast and From Python Import podcast. He's co-founder of Podiobooks.com, and he has a blog at UnquietDesperation.com. So strap on your seatbelts, because we aim to make story time the least ordinary part of your day. Thargus and Brian by Stephen Gaskell Thargus, Spartacus, zygote of Dalus and Phygus, do you accept the challenge? Thargus shuffled from trunk to trunk, each schlep noise of his suckers making him wince. Ahead, he smelt the rich, yeasty smell of the high priest mingling with the odors of the kith and kin. Of course he accepted the challenge. Had anyone not accepted the challenge? He cleared his vestibules. He wanted to sound confident, but not arrogant. Respectful, but not overawed. A simple, declarative sentence that would simultaneously show that he was ready for the challenge, but also capable of completing it. I do, he spluttered. A waft of bad breath, he'd gorged on mumblefish before the ceremony, diffused around the chamber, causing the guests to cough. He waited for a reply, reminded of how he'd always been picked last for tentacle ball out on the marshes. The priest fanned away the gas. Bring in the globe. A gigantic, transparent sphere rolled across the lichen-floored chamber, directed by a dozen leech polyps. Countless motes of dust floated inside, sparkling like stars. Thargus, Bardicus, it is time to pick your species. Thargus slid his primary tentacle into the side of the ball, which dimpled under the pressure. When he'd depressed the volume enough so that the surface was taut, he pierced the skin with the sliver tongue at the end of his tentacle. Please give me an easy one. A moat landed on his tongue, and the million others blinked out of existence. A chemical signature raced through his nervous system. Two words came from him, unbidden. Homo sapiens. 
murmurs of approval echoed around the chamber. The species is chosen, the priest intoned. Thargus Bardicus, you now have only one day to demonstrate your mastery over a member of Homo sapiens and prove that you are ready to join your elders. With his two side tentacles, he passed the moss brain to Targus. Take this brain that contains all that you will need to know about the species in question and go now. Before Thargus stepped into his craft, attached limpet-like to the steeple, one of his progenitors wrapped a tentacle around Thargus and whispered, Go for scary. Get the whole gnashing teeth, flailing tentacles, noxious burp thing going, and that human will be lichen paste in your suckers. Scary. Scary. Right, Thargus replied. He boarded his craft and left his homeworld. Thargus sat in the middle of his ship, mind-noodle deep in the moss brain, while hyperspace skimmed past outside. He didn't want to be here, traveling Zular knew how many light years to demonstrate his mastery over a human, but that was the way the lichen grew. He flexed his suckers and concentrated on the moss brain. Homo sapiens didn't appear to be any great challenge in theory. Although likely someday to become a space-fearing race, the accomplishments of the species were due to the work of a few brilliant individuals and an economic system that quickly propagated good ideas. The average human, according to previous reports, was lazy, submissive, and driven by concerns of self-interest above any nobler ideals. Unlike the Maharabi of Indillo V, who could only be mastered by logical prowess, or the Kanikika of Betelgeuse, who would only yield in the face of great physical dexterity, the textbook human would be a pliant subject after a mildly horrifying experience. What was so horrifying about his three suckered tentacles, slick trunk, and nictating membranes was a mystery to Thargus, but he wasn't going to argue with his progenitor. Thargus sat in geosynchronous orbit over London. From his investigations while in transit, he determined that the most servile humans lived in a country named England. Their leader was always going along with the wishes of the other leaders on the planet, and the people followed his example, living empty, conformist lives. Below, night cloaked the city. All was in darkness except for the crisscrossing strings of street lamps, with the occasional light of lone motor vehicles and the dim glow from bedroom or lounge windows. Thargus tracked the path of a bus winding its way out of a suburban neighborhood and into an industrial park. At the corner of a large rectangular warehouse, the bus spluttered to the curb and six people got off. The first five trooped efficiently into the welcoming light of the warehouse reception area, while the sixth hung back in the shadows. There was a spark, then an orange ember. Thargus checked the sign in front of the building. Direct Line Limited, Main Call Center. He sucked on his moss brain. Telephone operators. Badly paid, low-status workers. Perfect. He locked the transporter on the sixth worker, initialized the universal translator, and switched off the lights. The human floated in the impermeable sack, spinning around and using the smoldering luminescence at the end of its little white stick to try to see into the darkness. Every so often it would bring the stick up to its head and the ember would flare brighter. Man, it said, and coughed. Thargus thought the time right. He set the lights to full strength and flailed and gnashed and roared as he'd been practicing. He felt rather silly, but the performance seemed to be working. The human, one hand steadying its spin, looked on intensely. It moved the white stick up to its mouth, breathed in, then stabbed the stick out against the sack wall. Don't be afraid, Thargus said, meaning the opposite. 
He'd seen the trick on old films stored in the moss brain, when humans said one thing and meant another, like, we're safer if we split up. The human exhaled a long stream of smoke. I'm not, it said. That didn't sound right. Sargus considered his response while staring at the human. It sure was ugly. A patchwork of dirty synthetics over the majority of its body, and on top of its pudgy pink head, strand upon strand of greasy hair. Ugh. Thargus felt sick. Be afraid, then, he said. Why, are you going to eat me? Thargus didn't feel comfortable telling an outright lie, but that didn't mean he had to be too honest. I might. I don't think so. Let's look at this logically first. Oh, wait, by the way, you mind if I skin up? He delved into the synthetics that covered his chest and pulled out a small tin. This was heading off plan, but Thargus was curious. Skin up? Yeah, roll a fat one, make a doobie. Hmm, you're not following. Let's see. All right, best way to put this is, do you mind if I make some drugs and then use them? Thargus couldn't see any reason not to. The sack was airtight. There was no danger of fire. Okay. So where was I? The human carefully tore up a thin piece of paper, then licked it to another piece. Oh yes, logic. So first thing, we're weightless. That means we must be falling. Only place you can keep falling and not end up hitting something is in space, right? Thargus let himself rise to the lichen roof of the craft and get comfortable. This might take a while. It's possible. I knew it. The human bucked his knee and tobacco flakes filled the sack like it was a snow globe. Damn, it's hard to skin up in zero-g. Can we get some acceleration going? I guess. Thargus whipped a tentacle into the wall and the craft thrust upward, sending him crashing to the floor. Zular, I'm a klutz, Thargus thought, as he righted himself. Thanks. So we're in space. You are patently not human. I'd have to be popping some serious acid to believe that. Which means, the human held up a finger, I've been abducted by aliens. Now, alien. What? You said aliens, plural. You said, I've been abducted by aliens. You haven't. You've been abducted by an alien. There's only one of you? Just me. Why? Am I not important enough to get a whole cadre of aliens? No, you're insignificant. The human's shoulders slumped. It finished skinning up in silence. Thargus felt a hint of triumph that he'd managed to have some influence over the human. The human lit the doobie and took a drag. It grinned. But I'm important to you, right? I mean, hell of a lot of effort to go through if I'm so insignificant. Getting the ship kitted out, leaving your planet, selecting me. Okay, okay, you're important to me, all right? Can you turn off the boosters? I want to be weightless again. Thargus complied. This was getting worse. He wasn't cut out for management. All he wanted was a quiet life. Curse this stupid ritual. This is so damn cool. The human spun around, blowing smoke out like a Catherine wheel. So, I know you're not going to eat me. I'd probably poison you with all my earth shit. But are you going to experiment on me? Experiment? You know, cut me up, find out how my mind works, give me an anal probe, that sort of thing. Zular, no! The human stopped spinning and faced Thargus. Oh, it sounded disappointed. The Greys did all that years ago. Gave us legitimate body snatchers a bad name for a while. So why have you snatched me? Thargus chewed on a tentacle. It wasn't forbidden to reveal the reasons for the snatch to the abductee, but it might make it that much harder to succeed. Best to keep the human in the dark. What are you afraid of? Ah, I see. 
All the lights out and waving your arms and spreading your maw was to scare me. The human took a long drag on the doobie. Might have worked if I wasn't so stoned. You didn't answer the question. That's it. Tough. Assertive. Show this human who's boss here. What am I scared of? Well, daytime television gives me nightmares sometimes. To think people watch those shows. The human shuddered. Thargus wasn't sure what he could do with that. Anything else? Uh, it said, tapped out the sack walls. I know. Conformity. I always worry that one day I'll lose the superior attitude that I have toward my work colleagues and become exactly like them. Become another mindless automaton who can't think for themselves and ends up dressing, talking, eating, and acting like everyone else. Thargus scratched an itchy sucker on his trunk. Difficult to bring out a fear of conformity in one subject who is currently undergoing a completely non-conformist experience. Anything else? The human puffed hard on the blackened butt. Nah. Oh, hang on. Something else that scares the crap out of me. Thargus's suckers tensed. A deep-seated fear that the human race is all alone in the universe. It stubbed out the doobie. Guess I've got over that one now. Thargus's suckers wilted. Can I try a... a doobie? Brian. My name's Brian. With pleasure. I'm Thargus, Thargus said, and switched on the thrusters. Stoned, Thargus came up with a plan. You want to know why I snatched you? Brian nibbled at a piece of stringy cheese floating off an extra-large meat fest Thargus had transported in from the oven of a Domino's pizza. Sure. Let me be straight with you, Thargus said, and swallowed a handful of jelly polyps. You're the test case for whether your race gets permitted into the universal order. Uh-huh. Brian's head was tilted back, and his mouth formed the shape of an O as he chased his cheese. Did you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I'm the test case for determining whether humanity gets into the universal order. Why me? He snapped at a pepperoni slice that spiraled away. Thargus tossed another jelly polyp into his maw, buying time. Because you're average. Brian stared at Thargus. What? You're the most average person on the planet, Thargus said, warming to his improvisation. We statistically analyzed the human race along the lines of height, social status, and um, many other characteristics, and we found that you were the most average human being on Earth. Brian Redpath is far from the norm, alien. What kind of average person knows the message on the side of the Apollo spacecraft or the density of hydrogen in interstellar space? Sorry to break it to you. You're Mr. Ordinary. Anyway, as the most average person in the world... Your responses to the following questions determine whether we give you FTL tech and let you join the club. FTL tech for the human race? Down to me? Yep. Wow. Of course, I can guarantee the tech without cross-examination, if you'll do me a favor. Brian scratched his head. What kind of FTL tech we talking? Does it matter? Sure it matters. Maybe you didn't notice, but my species isn't exactly environmentally friendly. I'd hate our stupid leaders to get a hold of anything too powerful. FTL drives that allow gradual expansion would be good. I can do that. So in exchange for the tech, what I need for you to do is help me make a little recording. I'm going to give you some instructions, and you've got to follow them to the letter. Brian chewed on a pizza slice. Why? Why isn't important. Why is important. Without it, I'm not doing anything for anyone. Thargus sagged. Brian went on, I've got a hunch there is no FTL tech anyway, and this is just a not-so-cunning ruse on your part. Thargus averted his eyes, even though he was sure Brian didn't know where they were. 
Can I bribe you in some other way? No. The effect of the weed had worn off. Thargus felt depressed. Would you obey me if you respected me? Brian was curled up, trying to sleep. Maybe. How would that work? I could tell you about great acts of heroism on my part. Yeah? No. Brian pressed his eyelids with thumb and index finger. Why don't you tell me the real reason you kidnapped me? Thargus's tentacles wrapped his trunk, and he rocked from side to side. Will you help me make the recording if I do? I might, Brian murmured. Thargus sighed. Okay. Here's the reason you're here. Brian opened his eyes, but stayed in the fetal position. My species has a coming-of-age ritual. Brian twisted upright, eyes wide. Pick on a human. Is that it? No, not exactly. I'm supposed to be bending you to my will, demonstrate my superiority over you. And then what? Then I make a recording of you bending to my will, send it home, and get accepted into elder society. Do you think you're superior to me? Thargus moaned. I can do 16-dimensional algebra, but no, I don't think I'm superior to you. No wonder you're having trouble. Are you an outcast back home? Kinda, yeah. Thargus's trunk concertinaed. This was a new low, equating himself to lower life forms. Zular wept. Brian sat cross-legged and spun around. Well, I respect you for that attitude. Thargus swelled. You do? Sure. The ritual sounds stupid. Where's the compassion? So you respect me enough to bend to my will now? Brian floated to the side of the sack. Are you listening? I don't bend to anyone's will, and neither should you. I say fuck the ritual. Fuck tradition. You go back there with your head or whatever held high and tell them you don't want to be any part of this whole rites of passage bullshit. But, but my progenitors, my parents, they'll be devastated. Thargus felt his suckers secreting and hoped Brian wouldn't notice. They wouldn't be able to show themselves in public again. You can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. What? I'm sorry your progenitors are going to feel bummed, but that's the price you pay for keeping yourself respect. They'll come around eventually. I don't know. I'd be out on a shank farm in the drylands. Shank, don't ask. It's like a sewage works, but worse. Sorry, man. You'll still have my respect, though. Thargus felt too depressed to tell Brian about the memory wipe at the end of the abduction. That means a lot, he said. They whiled away the time talking about their pasts. Like Thargus, Brian had been a loner growing up. Where Thargus had been ostracized for his forays into botany, Brian's exclusion was due to his love of astronomy and death metal. Thargus said he'd like to hear dying fetus one day. Time's nearly up, Brian. Will you reconsider? No way, man. This is the best thing that could happen to you. This will change your life like it's going to change mine. One day, you'll thank me for it. What a failure. Thargus pulled the memory eraser, a transparent green worm, from a compost pouch with a lazy swipe of his tentacle. Okay. I should send you back now. I'll be thinking of you, Thargus. I'll be thinking of you, too, Brian. He pressed his tentacle against the sack, feeding the worm up to the tip. Brian mistook the action for a gesture of friendship and placed his palm next to Thargus's tentacle. He couldn't do it. Couldn't take Brian's memories away when they meant so much to the man. What did he have to lose, anyway? If you're going to fiddle with a swamp dog... Put it all in the way. He flicked the worm away. Goodbye, Brian. Goodbye, Thargus.
Thargus's craft ascended through the purple clouds of his home world. Inside, he stared at the fuzzy egg-shaped recorder, empty and unused. The tips of his tentacles were folded beneath the base of his trunk, useless. He hoped they wouldn't prolong the ceremony any longer than necessary. The craft embedded itself in the steeple, and the seals hissed. Thargus rose tall, cradling the recorders between his side tentacles. The door opened. Thargus Barticus, said the priest, sliding into the craft. Welcome home. Greetings, priest, said Thargus. He offered the recorder to the priest to digest. The priest pushed Thargus's tentacles down. I don't understand. Thargus had expected the priest to eat the recorder and learn its contents. Follow me, the priest said, and slid out the door. Did they already know he'd failed? Thargus inhaled and made himself slide after the priest. Priest, what's happening? The recorder... The priest wasn't listening. He slid around a quarter of the steeple gangway and was about to enter the steeple. He beckoned Thargus to hurry up with two flicks of his tentacle. Amongst the darkened rafters, the air smelt rich and heavy. Whispering from below died down as the priest rang the brass bell, signaling the end of the challenge. Thargus could make out the vague outline of a vast congregation. "'Thargus Barticus has returned,' bellowed the priest. A smattering of clapping broke out, tailed off, and then grew again, until the rafters themselves shook. Thargus turned to the priest, who was clapping with great gusto, three tentacles meeting in perfect synchrony. "'Thargus, you're a hero!' he shouted over the noise." Brian tapped his doobie against the advertising window of the bus shelter. Hints of dawn dappled half the sky. "'I'm telling you, I'm moving on,' he said to a co-worker who'd come off the night shift at the same time. "'I've seen things that blow your mind.' "'Like what?' Brian stared at his co-worker. Trim haircut, iron shirt. It was as if this guy took pride in his lousy job. Brian took out his fire-red lighter, gave it a shake, and lit his spliff. "'Aliens.' he said, and took a long toke. You're real funny, Brian, the co-worker said, shaking his head. He peered down the street and looked for the night bus. You should cut down on the weed. At that moment, Thargus materialized next to Brian. The co-worker shrieked and slammed into the back corner of the shelter, hemmed in by Thargus's wide trunk and swinging limbs. Thargus, good timing, said Brian. I was just telling my colleague. Brian pulled aside the zippered edge of his co-worker's jacket, reading the name badge. William, about you. What's happening? You get off the shank farm? The co-worker squirmed in the corner, hyperventilating. I never got on it. They recorded the whole body snatched and beamed it back in real time, worried that I was a suspect case. It turns out that people were ready for a change and dug my peaceful approach. Thargus stuck a tentacle into a pouch on his trunk and rooted around. Kudos to you, Brian said and high-fived one of Thargus's other tentacles. So, what are you doing here? They made me Earth Ambassador. He pulled out a see-through blue worm. Sounds like a good number. And the best thing is they made you my contact. Bonza Yokohama. I can quit my day job. Thargus tossed the worm at the co-worker. It landed on his jacket lapel and shot upward. Let's get out of here. Ever been on the Millennium Eye? No, Brian said absentmindedly. What was that? He waved a spliff at the co-worker. Oh, that? The co-worker shook as the worm crawled along the line of his jaw. I'll tell you about that on the way. 
And that was our story. What I liked about this one was the concept of ordinary and its importance. Here we see Brian trying desperately to stand apart while Thargus thinks Brian is completely ordinary. And Thargus tries desperately to fit in while his encounter with Brian sets him apart. I'm noticing as I travel through my 30s, the desire to make a unique imprint of myself gets stronger. But then again, I watch my seven-year-old desperately try to fit in at school. I dislike, however, the desire to stand apart just to be unique, like hating something popular just because everybody else likes it. You say you don't want to be influenced by the crowd, but guess what? You just got influenced by the crowd, letting them push you away from something. It's no better than following the crowd, honestly. It's hard sometimes to figure out if you're doing something because the crowd says to do it, or because the crowd says not to do it, or because you really want to do it. Some of my friends are horrified when they hear I like Lady Gaga. There's similar horror when I am not enamored of lolcats, or when I said I really disliked Avatar. And don't get me started when it comes to some classic sci-fi I've tried to read and just not gotten the appeal of. I sometimes find it difficult to talk to pro writers and editors and mention that I don't think ex-classic writer God was all that. Being who you really are is one of the hardest things in life. You don't want to be a sheep, and you don't want to be a non-compromising jerk who's unwilling to try new things. I guess that's why the quest for our place in the world is a constant one. Before we sign off, I'd like to play some feedback addressed by the man who's made this transition between editors much easier than it would have been otherwise. My right ARM, Bill Peters. Hi, this is Bill Peters, and I'm here to tell you about the Flash Contest the Escape Artist Podcasts are putting on, and then give you the feedback for episode 238, Wind from a Dying Star. Those of you that have listened to us long enough will remember the first Flash Fiction Contest that was held back in 2007, at which point PodCastle wouldn't be around for at least a year, and Pseudopod had only been in existence for a scarce few months. Well, we're doing it again, but this time the contest is being split up in three genres along the lines of the various casts. The Podcastle contest started first and is going on right now on our forums. And the Pseudopod contest opened for submissions on May 1st, and we'll be accepting them through midnight Pacific time on May 31st. The Escape Pod contest will begin taking entries, 500 words or less, on the first minute of June 1st, Greenwich Mean Time, and accept them through midnight Pacific on July 4th. Full details, including where to send your stories, are on our forums at forums.escapeartists.net, or check the blog entry for this episode for a direct link. And now for the feedback. Wind from a Dying Star by David D. Levine, and narrated for us by Meg Westfox, ran back in February. So, to remind people what it's about, here's the story in six words. Distant future nomads return to Earth. The story seemed to win fairly universal acclaim for the world-building and the thought put into it, but people did have quibbles with the plot. Aten said that the story did a great job of introducing the vast differences between post-human space tribe and humanity in comprehensible terms, but not much of a fan of the plot, which kind of fell flat for me. Yi Chang said, It was a nice story, but I felt it dwelt too much on the sacredness of humanity. I think at this point, those beings were as far removed from humans as present-day humans would be from the early hominids. The listener said that he didn't really care for this one. 
far future evolved humanity stories are often hard for me to like anyway. Though I was warming to this one when suddenly it's all ZOMG, Earth is going to die, and I instantly knew it was going to happen. And finally we have Mobius 4, who said that Old John struck a chord with me. I recently returned from a deployment to the Middle East and found the readjustment returning home far more difficult than that of entering a war zone. I shared Old John's apprehension on the changes he underwent during his time in service. Though I am entirely human, I've spent the last two years refining my thoughts and habits to be the greatest instrument of war I can be. And people really should check out the rest of the comment on our forums. And that's it for feedback for this week. See you next week. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. All other rights are reserved by our authors. If you like this week's story, please tell a friend or blog about us, and if you really liked it, we hope you'll consider leaving a donation via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org, to help us support our authors. You can find us on Twitter now at escapepodcast. I'd like to send a special shout-out to the people who donated during our downtime. Your faith in Escape Pod is appreciated more than you know. And also check out our sister podcasts, Pseudopod for Horror and Podcastle for Fantasy, at their .org domains. Escape Pod is edited by Mer Lafferty, with Alistair Stewart as Reviews Editor and Bill Peters as the Assistant to the Regional Manager, or the ARM. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. That was our show for this week. We close with one long quote from one of my favorite writers of all time, Douglas Adams. Imagine a puddle waking up one morning and thinking, this is an interesting world I find myself in, an interesting hole I find myself in. Fits me rather neatly, doesn't it? In fact, it fits me staggeringly well. Must have been made to have me in it. This is such a powerful idea that as the sun rises in the sky and the air heats up, and as, gradually, the puddle gets smaller and smaller, it's still frantically hanging on to the notion that everything's going to be alright, because this world was meant to have him in it. It was built to have him in it. So the moment he disappears catches him rather by surprise. I think this may be something we need to be on the watch out for. And we'll see you next week. Here's where Steve always told you to have fun. While I highly recommend fun in all aspects of life, that was Steve's signature send-off, and I'm not going to bogart it. I'd rather remind you that no matter how small you're feeling or how ordinary, you should always strive to be mighty.